Welcome to Beyond the Rig. Our focus is on connecting young professionals with the energy sector. Join the youth government energy team. Shane Wilson, Nisha Ramdas, Graham Jones. This season, we will be engaging in conversations with leaders from various companies within the energy value chain. Welcome to episode five of Beyond the Rig podcast show. On today's episode, we have Sean Rampasad, the Chief Operating Officer at Ramson Logistics Limited. Welcome, Sean. Without further ado, you know, you can just give us like a little bit about yourself, about how you transitioned to the role of the CEO of Rams Limited, as well as, you know, um, give us a little background about Rams as well, too, because I know it's a, it's a really interesting story as well, too, in terms of it's a family business, right? Correct. You know, and um, so my, my, my first degree is actually industrial engineering. I graduated from UWI in 2003, um, uh, 2002. And uh, from that time, actually, when did I graduate? Ah, sorry, I graduated 2003. Uh, I, I mean, I grew up in the business, right? My dad is a customs broker. Um, he ran a small company up to the time when I was in UWI. We, we were about 10 people. And I've worked in the industry for, I mean, every single summer holidays since I was 11 years old, maybe. Um, or oh, I was helping him out, you know, it's a very, very much a family business. Back then it was basically him alone and I would work with him during the summer. Uh, when I graduated from UWI as an engineer, I had two choices. I could either go working in the industry directly or work with my dad and figure out how we build the, how we build the business out. And I, I chose to work with my dad with the understanding of build, taking the company from where it was to, to really expand the company. But at that point it was nationally. And then we always knew that we wanted to go international. Uh, I mean, today we are over 600 people, right? Across Trinidad, Guyana, Suriname, Miami, Houston, Mexico. And next year we will open in at least three countries in Latin America. One of those being Colombia. And the other two we are finalizing right now. I'll be able to share that with, the, with, with everybody else maybe about a month from now. But the idea is to develop a Trinidadian company or a Caribbean company. Because we really don't see ourselves as a Trinidadian company anymore. We see ourselves as a Caribbean company. And that's not that has nothing to do with Trinidad or any other country in, in the Caribbean. It has to do with economies of scale. It's very difficult to build world-class companies when you're only competing in a, when, you're, when your custom base is 1.3 million people or 500,000 or 700,000. So we believe, just like Phoenix Park would have done, to go out there and acquire assets in the U.S. and use good Trinidadian professionals, good management systems to run U.S. assets. That is that, that is where we see the future of companies in the Caribbean going. If you are not investing in your companies to be able to build world-class management systems with world-class professionals, then you're not going to be able to actually expand. Where does the technology come in? Technology only fits when you have really good management systems in place. What the technology allows you to do is to make your management systems way more efficient. But if you have a poor management system in place already, technology does not really help you. It actually just makes you actually probably sometimes worse at what you do. So what we have to do in Trinidad as we build 
multinationals and as we build bigger companies and stronger Caribbean companies is we have to focus on our management systems. Understand that we have really good management systems, quality management systems, safety management systems in place that really drive the expansion of our companies. Otherwise, all you are doing is building a house of cards and it will eventually fall down. Either when somebody like the CEO steps away or you lose a key client. Then, and that's what that's, sadly, that is what has happened to so many com Caribbean companies. They build out, they do well for a certain period of time. But some kind of cataclysmic event happens. You know, the CEO you know, is no longer there. A major customer where they build the whole business around is no longer exists and the whole company falls apart. But we've really been investing in our management systems, understanding the details of our business. And as we understand the business more and more, we then introduce the technology to really support the management systems that support the operations of our business. I like how you say it's a Caribbean company, you know, because um, like so many things, that approach of being isolated isn't working no more. You know, there's a lot of collaboration required if you want to see change, you know. So definitely in terms of the aspect of looking at the region and not just Trinidad, you're looking at the bigger picture as well too, you know, in terms of your market, which is something like a lot of young professionals are also interested in. What advice you give somebody actually who would like to start that thought process of going regional? What might be the best approach to go? What lessons you probably learned? And yeah. the first advice I would give to any young person is to don't pigeonhole yourself, right? Especially in the energy sector. People see themselves as a chemical engineer or an electrical engineer, or they see themselves as an operator. But I, I feel like for a long time, maybe because jobs were so easy to get and people were living a decent level of uh, lifestyle because the level of income supported it, people weren't pushing themselves to understand what it means to be a good professional. And being a good professional really means that you could transition, uh, certainly after a short period of time, away from the field that you have studied and you could become somebody who contributes to the building block in the company that you work in or the company that you are starting off. How, there's a difference between being an engineer and a professional. And, and you have to understand that. And it took me a long time to recognize that as well. And, you know, after a certain way, I mean, of course I have a, how should I say? Nisha, and they say I have a bias towards engineers and so on, right? Because I think, you know, <laughs> engineers, are, we, we, we are trained to think in a very scientific way. We, and we tend to make decisions based on reason, right? Um, right. Of course, we have our weaknesses too, right? Like too many, too many engineers can't read a p &L. They don't understand what a balance sheet is, right? And there's no way that you could become somebody who's a leader and you can't read a financial statement. And I'm not saying that you have to become an accountant to understand everything in detail, but you at least have to have some level of well-roundedness, right? That allows you to do those things. And then the last part I will talk about, that I think every professional graduating today, if you don't understand what coding is, if you don't understand what IoT is, if you don't understand how AI is going to affect the, 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 the industry that you are working in, then you're 20 years behind. Because every single industry, technology is going to have the biggest impact on industry in the next decade. Like, hands down, everybody is a technology professional. If you are the kind of person to say, oh man, you know, I need somebody to come and set up this for me. You know, I'm not a tech person. I mean, bro, you're, you're out of the system. You're out of the system. You're not going to get anywhere, right? If we are not embracing technology, not just embracing technology, small countries and small companies have this opportunity to have an outsized impact 
on society and the industries that they operate in because of technology. Anisha is a good example of that. You will look at the reach of our social media, right? I mean, five years ago, or okay, maybe a little bit more, maybe six, seven years ago, you, asked, you know, the vast majority of people in the energy sector have no idea who Rams is, right? But our focus on using social media, understanding algorithms, understanding reach, understanding how these different things work, has had a massive impact, right? I mean, uh, today, uh, today, what niche is it? Two hundred thousand followers on Facebook. Wow. Yeah. Um. Today we crossed a hundred thousand on um EDO, and we crossed ten thousand on LinkedIn for ramps. So yeah. And how much you have on Facebook ramps? Um, Facebook we are approaching two hundred thousand right now. Yeah. So yeah. And, and what that, what that really helps us to do is not just talk about our presence in Trinidad. Because those 200,000 followers, maybe just almost, maybe like 50, 60,000 are Trinidadians. But the rest are from across the world, right? And especially in the markets that we operate in. So there, what was happening is that I, I always use the example. I just, uh, I'm very interested in, a, in, in scaling businesses and understanding how businesses grow. And I was reading an article recently about Canada. The biggest company in Canada used to be the Royal Bank of Canada, Right. And they have something like 10,000 employees or something like that. And their revenue is, I, I don't remember, like 700 or 800 million Canadian dollars. The biggest company in Canada today is Shopify. Their revenue is in excess of a billion dollars with about 100 employees. 100 employees, right? Or, or, or something like ridiculously small compared to Royal Bank of Scotland. What young professionals have to understand today is where the future is. Now, don't get me wrong. You could go and you could start a hardware and open one branch and open two branches. But if I really, really, if I'm really, really smart, I want to really focus my efforts on technology because technology allows you to scale a business fifty times faster than trying to scale a business with the with, with the traditional means. And there's no way that you can get away from it. So if you are not a young technology person, and when I say a technology person, it doesn't mean to say that you're playing Minecraft on your iPhone, right? If you don't know how to write the code for Minecraft, if you don't know how to develop code and understand management systems and how do you, how do you work with, 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 with coding teams and sort of develop the right software to drive it, if you don't understand how coding and software impacts health and safety, if you don't understand how software and technology impacts your distribution channels, which is the direct access to your customers, then you're not doing the right things. It is less important these days about understanding which valve has to work and really understanding the impact of technology on your business. So you need to be a well-rounded technology professional. Yes, because technology, as as you said, is is what is um helping a lot of disruption within our industry, you know, and um in the world as well. Because right now, I mean, look at the smartphone, how how it has evolved uh, over the last couple of years um, to the fact where you know you actually make apart from making phone calls, you can actually record, video record, you could you could view emails, you you could basically process data. Um, true apps, uh, definitely that role technology is playing is something critical, you know. Good, and, uh, and Shane, you use a, you use a very good word there. You, you, you use that word called disruption. Yes. <laughs> let, me, let, let me be clear about disruption. First world countries and large economies, well-to-do economies, a lot of the disruption comes from the, those economies. But 
they have the luxury where they could not disrupt and they'll still be all right. Countries like ours that are developing, we don't have we don't have that luxury of not being able to disrupt. Sometimes I think that if we do disrupt, then we're not going to survive. Small countries need to be able to become bigger disruptors than bigger countries. Because of the size of the markets that we are we, we are operating in, and because of the ex of the additional hurdles we have in terms of doing business with world-class companies, we have to disrupt. If you look at RAMS, uh, RAMS manages, you know, short basis for, for the biggest oil and gas companies in the world. Trinidad has been in the oil and gas business for 100 years. In the last 25 years, there has not been a single Trinidadian company running shore bases for any of the major projects in Trinidad. It's all run by European companies, right? And in some instances, American companies. Why is that? Because there's an inherent disadvantage to being a Caribbean company when interfacing with world-class oil companies. And whether people agree with that or they don't agree with that, whether they decide what the reasons for those things are, it's not my business, right? But I understand that as a, as a Caribbean company, sometimes I feel that it takes us two times the amount to prove ourselves, right? And the way we've really approached that is to be better than even the European and the American companies. And how can we become better? It's not because we could say we have 25 years of experience because they, could, they have 100 years of experience, some of those companies. We can't do that. But our technology is better. Our management systems are better. And we prove that every single time with our customers. So sometimes you just have to be better just to be able to, 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 to be on a level playing field with, with, with these companies from, from, from more developed countries. And Trinidadian companies, Caribbean companies, they have, to, they have to understand that and they have to be able to build out their businesses to deal with that. I'd like to say we, we've been sleeping probably last 25 years. And I, would, I just want to draw a reference to LNG, you know, in terms of LNG and um, I mean, Trinidad was at one point the, the place known for, for LNG, you know, in terms of technology and how the trains were set up. And then with the whole rush for gas, it, it's like everybody kind of caught up. And now they're actually leading us in because there's there's actually a lot of investment in like small scale LNG, which we should have been involved in from the get go. And, you know, right now within the Caribbean region, there are a lot of um, U.S. companies actually selling LNG to CARICOM neighbors, which is something that we should have been doing as, as a CARICOM neighbor who was, who was always had an LNG facility in Trinidad, you know. So I, I understand why you're saying that in the last tw um, 25 years, we have been sleeping and, you know, we, we need to change that, that mindset, that focus and... And, definitely and, you're, and, and you're right about that. And you know, people blame all kinds of different things for that, right? Or everybody tends to blame Shell and they blame BP and they blame everybody else. But we, we need to stop blaming everybody. If I am the CEO of BP, my responsibility is to my shareholders. And they do a very good job of that, right? Yes. What has happened in Trinidad is there's been a total breakdown on the energy tripod. What is the energy tripod? The energy tripod consists of, one, the operators, the BPs and the shells and so on, two, the service companies, ourselves and a number of others, and three, probably the most important part of the tripod is the regulator, the Ministry of Energy. The Ministry of Energy is the one who is supposed to be setting policy for the well-being of Trinidad and Tobago. But too many times as a country, 
we are relying on the operators to set policy for us, right? And we have abdicated our responsibility to our country. And I'll be honest with you, you know, uh, I think NGC is has done a, a decent job, you know. Uh, at the end of the day, don't get me wrong, people might say whatever they want to say, right? It's not perfect. It's a very difficult decision to make. But NGC ensures that Trinidad to an extent has a say and a role to play in the way our hydrocarbons move around and the way we get value from it. But there needs to be a bigger role from the ministry. At the end of the day, somebody has to say, is small-scale LNG important to us as a country? If the answer is yes, then we have to create the enabling environment that allows the investors and the, 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 the people who want to run the plants and everything else. But sadly, because there's been so, money, so much money around, either we feel like either the government has to do it on their own, so they have to build the companies and do it on their own, or the sad reality of the situation, Shane, is that I think a lot of times young professionals, they live a decent enough life, they get a decent enough pay, they go out, they party, they think they live a decent lifestyle, and they're happy with that. But how, how, how are we creating value? Who has been creating value for Trinidad and Tobago for the last 10 years? We aren't seeing that happening. And there's a major gap when it comes to creating value. And sometimes I think it's because we've just, you know, we've, we've, been, we've been living good lives. Yeah, as much as we complain about it, you know, Trinidad is still a decent place to live, you know. And until sometimes it gets a little bit more difficult, then maybe we might force ourselves to make harder decisions. But I feel too many times, you know, it's like Pakaskas. I don't know if you're all young enough to remember that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that show on TV with the planet where they yeah, were just eating out everything. Yes, yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> maybe, maybe there's still enough milk flowing in the rivers and, and chocolate mountains for us to keep eating. And maybe we haven't gotten to the where we see, oh, shit, this whole thing is going to end before we really stop and do something else about it. But sometimes I feel like we are like Pakaskas and we're just eating out things and we're not adding and creating more value. There was a golden age, you know, in the 70s and the 80s when point leases was created and all these different, when LNG came on stream and so on. But since then, hasn't been any kind of major innovation. There hasn't. And I, and I feel we're just living off of that era still. Well, you know, you, you say um, creating value and, and it's true. I mean, if you study outside of Trinidad and I had the privilege of doing that in, in Scotland and um, the, when you do like oil and gas, Trinidad is used as a kind of case for, for a model that a lot of countries try to adopt, you know, and it, it's, it's to show you how strong our old business models ha has been for us basically. But of course, you know, over time, in terms of that innovation, it, it hasn't occurred. And we're at a point, I believe, a point of inflection where we need to start thinking differently. We need to be more influential if we want to create more value going forward. Because um, based on our old systems and what was done in the past, you know, we're still at that position where we can still benefit. But I think next 30 years, you have to take a different approach, especially when you're dealing with energy going forward. And, so, so, so I was wondering what advice you could give in, in, in that aspect, you know, how, 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 you, how you think young professionals can really position themselves to be more influential, to get that big picture across that would draw that attention from, from leaders like CEOs like yourself, you know, in, in, in management position to, to take a gamble on them and say, yes, let's go the with reality, that. The reality of the situation is that if you don't have influence, nobody's going to take you seriously, right? And, and whether people agree with that or disagree with that, as far as I'm concerned, that's a reality situation. What that means is, how do you build influence? How do you put yourself in a position where you could exert 
influence. You know, and if I look back at my career, a lot of what we created on social media, uh, uh, you know, I sit on the board of the energy gym and so on. It is, it is so that I could go into a position of influence. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that in the past, the people who have been in positions of influence have, been, have used those positions to enrich themselves. What we have to do now is that we have to make sure that as people put themselves in positions of influence, we understand and we hold them in, ch in check that they are doing things to help create value and to do good for the country. The first part of the equation is to build influence. How can people like yourself and Nisha and so on build influence? It is through things like this, right? If somebody had told me about Shane Wilson before, I would have no idea who Shane Wilson is. Now I know. I have a better idea. If something comes in front of the energy chamber, that's something that you guys are trying to do. Well, you'll get my support. And if you get my support, well, you'll get the support of a few other CEOs, right? Because I have that influence on them. So what you all are doing here is also building influence. You're going on the right path. Influence is also built on public opinion. How do you all network with the media? How do you all sit down with 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 some uh, with with with, uh, with Chris or somebody from the Energy Guardian or, or, or you know and really start putting out things that are important? You have to have access to the media. You have to have access to social media. You all have to build up your following. You all might say, "Hey, listen, how can we do? How can we put together something and partner with the with the uh, with the Energy Chamber?" I was telling Nisha before, you know, why aren't we doing something targeting the schools? So why aren't we doing like a like a, a, a Zoom a Zoom meeting where you know at three o'clock in the afternoon or two thirty in the afternoon you all go to a few principals you know say listen so 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 everybody has a phone everybody has access to Zoom now how can we say we have a, a CEO series and we get into every single uh, secondary school in the country or how, you know and then do do it together with the energy chamber so it gives you a lot more influence it gives you a lot more legitimacy there are so many things that young people can do today if they use technology and really sit down and think about how they build their influence. But you got to build your influence. Yes, because as you said, building that influence is, is what will allow that gateway or that door for people to listen to you as well. And, so, and, so and actually, I, and I told Nisha that chain, the only reason why I actually sat down and had a chat with Nisha the first time she asked to see me was because I knew her as, uh, as the energy, energy bay, right? I had seen something that she had put out before. In fact, Javid Razak, who is our director of, uh, of contracts, I, I hired Javid because I, I read some articles that he wrote in the Trinidad Guardian. If somebody had told me, you know, this is this person, Nisha, talk to her, I'd, I'd be like, yes, I mean, I would, I would have not been rude, but I probably would not take her very seriously, right? But wh okay. whether you like it or not, people take you seriously based on your influence and what you have done. Not what you always say you're going to do, because there's no shortage of millennials who always talking about what they want to do and what they're going to do. But very, very, very few of them can actually talk about things they have actually done that are of, that are of consequence. Uh, I agree, because I, I think we are a society that advocates, but in terms of actions, it, it, we, there needs to be more, especially if you if you want to talk about change, uh, effective change and structural change going forward. You, you, uh, you know, uh, one, one of the things that Nisha's team and I talk about, and, and Nisha's boss is a guy called Dale Lutchman, is that no company ever went out of a business because of a lack of good ideas, right? But every single one that went out of business, they never execute anything, right? We Everybody thinks that because they come up with a good idea, they're the smartest people in the world. And sadly, the Caribbean culture is that we feel if we come up with an idea, we have to protect it. That's ours. You know, no, we, we want to talk about it. We don't want to tell nobody because they got a free idea. Everybody, probably 99 out of the 100, probably had the same idea. 
right? It doesn't matter if you have the ideas, what you can actually make out of it. And that's another thing we don't do well when we have good ideas. We don't collaborate. We don't cooperate with each other. You don't, feel, you don't find companies coming together and everybody tries to do their, their own little thing and their own little silo. And we don't really amount to much when we do it like that. Agreed, but hopefully um, the new young professionals in the industry will be definitely pushing towards more collaboration, you know, and because um, we, we, we see for ourselves, we have to collaborate going forward, you know, simple thing, climate change is not a Caribbean problem, it's a, it's a global problem, you know, and if you want to see any effective change, everybody will have to play their part in terms of cutting their emissions so everybody in the world can benefit, you know, so I, well, I definitely could really... You're 100% right. And if I could give you guys a piece of advice, go and take a roster and a roll of all the young professionals at the Ministry of Energy. Our best and brightest in this country, open scholarship winners and so on. They, a lot of them are at the ministry and they go in there for, to, for the two years. They end up getting stuck there for a long time. And then they, 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 they become true public servants, right? In the, in the way that people perceive them. And by the way, they are very good public servants as well. Eh? But Sadly, the majority of them, they get tied up in that. But those people at the ministry have the ability to cause the biggest amount of influence and change in the industry. But nobody takes them on. Nobody deals with them. And they just go in and they serve the eight to four and they go home. But if we could engage with the young professionals at the ministry, I, and, I, and by the way, we, are, we have talked about, that, talked about this at the board of the energy chamber. We will give cover to them because a lot of times they are afraid to do things because they do they boss this or that. But we would love to be able to work with you all, get those energy professionals on board, give them some cover, and really figure out how we can make policy changes that would drive the future of the industry. Because policy plays a massive, massive role in, in the way we develop the industry. We can't just develop it without any kind of roadmap and certainly without any enforcement. Sometimes this week we, we are launching the, the local content framework at the Ministry of uh, at the Chamber. First time, it takes us a long time, but even then, there's no point that the Chamber trying to do together with industry. The regulator is the Ministry of Energy and they have a role to play in that. But sadly, sometimes we just don't see the Ministry playing their role and we need to re-engage with the professionals there at the Ministry to play a bigger role in our industry. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, def definitely. I think it's all actors have to play a crucial role if you want to see that movement, that that change required to go forward. You know, and I, I know with your experience, um, definitely being a, a logistics provider throughout the region, uh, how do you really see the future of energy for, for the Caribbean industry. I know you all do like um, work with, with oil and gas companies, but like for renewable companies and offshore, you see any plays um, making inroads in, in terms of those areas? Oh man, how do I answer this? Do I tell you what I want to see or what I think will actually happen? Hmm. <laughs> I think that the everything north of Trinidad will continue to adapt they have no choice and right. that they will they, they will they will do fairly well right the technology is evolving enough their costs are high enough um where, where where things will change i mean suriname and guyana with their new fines as much as i think they want to go green i think that the uh the temptation is going to be there to continue i, I and it's not just in terms of cost eh? It's also a matter of uh, distraction of senior leadership and distraction of your best resources. Everything is built around people, even in countries. It's, it's typically a few people who get things done. 
But when your best and brightest engage with the biggest industry in Guyana and Suriname, it'll be oil and Trinidad is already your energy. Then, you know, sometimes not the best and the brightest go towards handling things like renewables and so on. And that is the biggest problem here for us in Trinidad, Guyana and Suriname. In Barbados, their best and their brightest will go to renewables because it's such a huge part of the cost that they have to reduce it. But really what gets done is what you put your best people on. And unless we start putting our best and brightest to lead some of these efforts on renewables, I don't think it will, it, it will come back. I mean, you look, at, you look at yourself at the NGC, some, a, a lot of our best and brightest are going towards Point Lisa's, BP, Shell, uh, NGC, and so on. Right. I mean, if NGC, for example, with the lead and uh, renewable and renewable policies, then you might see some big changes happening because NGC has some great people. They have great management systems. They have great leadership. If a, if a ministry has to lead it, I'm not quite sure. Based on the current status of the ministries and so on and the challenges that they face, I, I'm not quite sure how quickly we'll be able to get that going. Yeah, I, yeah, I can I I see it. I mean, and again, uh, I guess it's all based on your circumstances and your appetite for, for, for making um, bold decisions going forward, you know. Uh, as you said as well, in terms of Barbados, they need to cut their, their costs, given the, the high cost they spend on um, oil imports for power generation and um, you know, there is a keen focus to focus on renewables and develop that sector, you know. I just hope Trinidad will end up a society which adopts end-user technology, you know. I think oh, 100%, be- bro. That's exactly what we are right now. Yes. We, we, just, we just use end-user technology. We're not creating, we're not influencing, we're not shaping how that technology affects any world. That is yeah. the future. You look, you look at, uh, at, at, the, at the best and the biggest companies in the country. And maybe that's a challenge for you guys at NGC. I don't know how much of your operating budget goes towards research and development. If you don't, if you don't have budgets allocated to research and development, and you don't allocate people's time to creating and researching, then how are you going to develop new technologies and new products? But probably less than point, I don't know, maybe even half a percent. I'd like to say, but it's probably even less than that of companies in Trinidad have anything allocated to research and development. We need to spend more time and more of our efforts on research and development to create the technologies that will influence the future. Otherwise, we'll just be users like we are right now. Yes, and uh, I hope in the next 10, 15 years, you know, that, that notion will change, you know, especially with the young crop of, of um, professionals coming out. I know there's a, there's an appetite, especially for like young professionals to, to basically bring innovation and, and bring change. But, you know, is that lack of experience, um, that lack of, of fear as well, too, because we, we're a society which, you know, if you fail at something, you know, it's it's kind of frowned upon, but and not looked at as, as a lesson um, to help you grow and, and, and even become a better professional, you know. So we're really hoping within the next couple of years that whole notion changes going forward. You know, is that is a cultural? I, I it, well, it it may be a cultural thing, but it changes with leadership. If uh, Mark gets up tomorrow in NGC and says, "Listen, this is important to me, and I don't care. I am going to allocate a budget of X amount, and we're going to have four of our best engineers working on this, and we expect that they're not going to forget it right away." Then the whole culture inside NGC will change. It comes down to leaders, and that's what I tell tell you guys about building your influence. Because you all have to be able to influence leaders, right? I look, I look back at our journey two years ago. You know, when we were looking at changing our ERP, 
and we were looking at SAP and Oracle, and we looked at everything, and then we said, man, I think we could do this on our own. We could build something better. And then we went out and we, we defined our project. We looked at contractors in India and Bangladesh and, and Eastern Europe to work with us on it. And we did it for a while. And we said, well, why can't we do this thing in Trinidad? And then we went to UWI and we hired the brightest people out of their master's programs. And we started our department. And that, we just kept build it, building and building on it. And then we realized that the talent that exists in Trinidad to be able to do is by far superior to anything that you can get from anywhere else in the world. And when I say by far superior, I'm not saying that we are superior, but I'm saying the length, what it would have taken for me to collaborate with somebody in India in a different time zone, with a language barrier, etc. The quality of products I'm able to develop, working alongside a fellow Trinidadian who sits in my office, who understands me, who understands the local operating environment, is significantly better than anything you can get from by versus importing our technology or trying to use a contractor outside of trying to develop technology. There's no reason why we are, can't develop world-class technology on our own in Trinidad. And if it's one thing I'm very proud of at RAMS is the people at RAMS who have been developing world-class technology over the last year and, and rolling out products that are being used by some of the best companies in the world. I'm glad they have a RAMS, RAMS carrying that, that Caribbean brand to the world. Yes, uh... Yeah, it, it brings it brings that there's hope for, for young professionals out there who are looking for for leaders like yourself, you know, to, to place your faith in them as well too, and to bet on them instead of going outside of Trinidad, you know, to develop. It's something that we definitely have to um, change going forward if you want to be relevant in, in any industry, in my point of view, you know. And it's not just me. I mean, I can tell you, and uh, Nisha will tell you, in Rams, we have a batch of great leaders, and then we also have a batch of people who are, working under great leaders who will themselves in a very short space of time become great leaders themselves. And it's not even it's, and it's not even about us because definitely some of the people who come through the system will go into other companies. That's part of how the ecosystem works. But the idea is hopefully, what I hope for is that they will go into other companies in Trinidad that will also be able to drive influence. I, you know, I hope that the young people, and it's not young people's fault, eh? I mean, it has always been okay, you know, go work for BP, go work for Shell. It's, it's the safer thing to do. Well, nowadays it's not the safer thing to do. Um, and, and, and it's the easier thing to do. And of course, you, you know, especially in the beginning, you, 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 get, you, you get compensated better. But as, as Caribbean companies and local companies build their foot up, one, they'll be able to compete on the compensation side. And two, the, the one thing that, you know, that I do, that for me, because I mean, I could have I leave a long time ago as well and, and, and make my way outside. But there's no joy greater than being able to feel that you are causing a positive improvement and making a difference for the people uh, for the, who, who are here, right? And, uh, you know, I don't know if you all are Buju fans, right? But, you know, Buju says it's not an easy road. Those, yeah. who, those, who, <laughs> those who could leave, leave. But those who have to stay, you know, no opportunity. So I think we have a responsibility for those who ha who can't go and those who have to stay. And that's what we are trying to do more than anything else. We're nearly out of time, but one more question, you know, I, I, I like to add to the dimension of this conversation um, in, in closing. If you could give us like at least three tips for like a young professional who would want to follow in that path um, that, that you follow, that, you know, that entrepreneurial path, what? So I, I've always been very, very fortunate, Shane in that I've always had a great support system around me. If it is, it, when you start off your journey of entrepreneurship, there are many things you cannot predict. 
But if it's one thing you can do, you can know with certainty in addition to debt and taxes is that you're going to face serious obstacles. Every single entrepreneur faces that. Those of us who get through it, it's because we've had this great support system around us. Sometimes it's family, sometimes it is friends, sometimes it is co-workers and colleagues, you know. And one of the things I've always, that one of the things I've really learned is that it is so much easier to build something working with other people than trying to build it on your own. And I feel that, you know, we maybe we don't have that culture in China to collaborate and to work with each other and build something from scratch. People feel, oh, you know, it's my thing, my business. I'm a, you know what we say, I'm a, a self-made man. That's the worst thing in the world. There's nobody in this world who is self-made, right? Everybody has, has been made because they've had so much help from different people and different people have sacrificed to get you to where you are. But working with other people to build something is always a great thing. And always be open to that. But make sure you have that support system around you because you, you, you will need them. You will need them. And the second thing is to have a sense of gratitude and to enjoy the journey. Um, you know, today uh, we just got uh, uh, news that we won a massive contract, huge contract, right, in Suriname. And um, I thought, I, I, I'm, I'm working at home. So when I got it, you know, I saw the email and I was happy. But I remember when, I, when we won our first Suriname contract three years ago, and it was like maybe like one ten the size of this one, right? But mm. my reaction to that and my joy from winning that contract was probably a hundred times more than it was for this particular contract. Because after a while, we start getting kind of, you know, we, we, we forget the joys of, of uh, and we, you know, my father uses the analogy. He said, you know, if you take a, a, a frog and throw them into a pot of jo- a hot boiling water, it will jump out. But if you put it in the cold water and you, you keep heating it up gently, the frog remains in there and dies, like, Sometimes people tend to not notice how much they are progressing in life. And sometimes we're too hard on ourselves. You know, we don't see our progress, especially young people in a difficult environment. Sometimes you have to give yourself a break and be like, you know, ask yourself, am I progressing? And be honest. And if you feel you are progressing, make sure you celebrate those successes. Make sure you celebrate that progression because it's so easy to beat up yourself and to be hard on yourself, right? But sometimes you have to remember to celebrate and the, the small wins. And the third thing I would say, and I'm going to sound like a broken clock, but it's to make sure that you are well-rounded. Don't just become the engineer or the accountant or the this. I mean, you know, nowadays, I I, I ask myself, you know, if I I had just written A-levels again, does it make sense to go do an engineering degree today? Really and truly, would I go back and do an engineering degree? Would I commit three or four years to that? Because sometimes, Shane, I, I spend, you know, every so often, we, uh, what we do is that we challenge ourselves to learn about something new at our leadership, at the leadership level. And we, 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 we try to become almost like an SME in it over like three weekends, right? And wow. I, feel, I feel, bro, the kind of things I learn doing that is more than I learn in university. The kind of online resources that are available to you to improve yourself as a professional and to improve the breadth and the depth of the knowledge that you have it is amazing it is probably better than going to university today and i'm not telling people don't go to university that's a personal choice that you have to make but don't just go to university and come out with a degree and don't know anything else in four years hells hells no right that is the worst thing you could ever do if i was going in and i, and I was I, I, in trinidad and i was going to become a geophysicist or a petroleum engineer 
I got to learn everything about LNG marketing. I got to learn everything about downstream of urea and ammonia because those are primary products that we produce and we could add more value to it. I got to learn about what's going on in Guyana and Suriname. I got to understand about, you know, understand everything that you could. Don't just, uh, sadly, when I went to university, I was more concerned about back in my days, you used 40%, right, to pass. <laughs> All I wanted to do was to get 41 because I went to university to get a degree. When, when, you, do, when you do your postgrad, I mean, that was a whole different thing for me because I, I did my MBA afterwards. And when I did my MBA, it was like, wow, I used to go to the MBA. And the stuff I learned today, I could go back and work tomorrow and try it out. And so it was like I was actually where I actually did my postgrad to learn. And I came out of it feeling like I learned. But I mean, the sad thing about this, I always wonder to myself, how much did I really learn in my years at UE? Did I really spend my time? Could I have spent my time doing better? Uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I mean, think, yeah. I, I can relate to, you know, I'm a product of the UE system as well too, you know, and um, I, again, you know, at least during my time, I mean, now there's a lot more exposure definitely in terms of um, about people talking about thinking outside the box, etc. But yeah, like you, I, I went to university and my main goal was to survive and get my degree. You know, I... Uh, I, I, and it's only when I actually went away and studied and did my master's, I, I kind of understand. I started to learn, as you said, it's the first time I thought I was really in school now, because that's the first time I actually got involved with a lot of reading, because there's a lot of research required for different theories and understanding different systems systems and policies, etc. And, you know, it, it, it really brought um, a new perspective, you know, and you know, you mentioned um, progress, and I think one of the things that um, we as young professionals have to remember is success doesn't happen overnight. And I think we, we, we expect it to happen in a short space of time, and most leaders um, that you talk to, you know, they, they emphasize that, you know, it, it takes a while, but it will happen. You just have to keep doing what you're doing and stay focused, and um, definitely that learning aspect is a continuous process. It's something that, um, at least when I finished university, I cannot, I cannot underestimate it for like the first five years outside of UE because, you know, that 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 um, people who read and acquire knowledge, it is something that gives you an advantage because, as you One, say, one hundred percent, you become a more well-rounded person, you know. And 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 in my time, I guess, you know, I I, I never really looked at it as probably later on in, in my young professional career, you know, so it's something that, um, I, because of my master's again, I, you know, I, I kind of was forced to read and it's something I picked up because, you know, it, there's so much new things happening that is only through reading. Um, that knowledge that you acquire or the, or the fundamentals you acquire will be will be valuable going forward, you know, so it's you're, definitely... You're, 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 you're spot on, Shane, and if I could give you a tip, you know, that I use personally, is how do you define progress? I define my progress on a Sunday night, right? So typically before I go to bed on a Sunday, I mm. review my week and I say to myself, what did I learn this week? And what I learned could be different things. What did I learn about somebody? What did I learn about a topic? What did I learn about a process? But if I feel like I didn't learn enough that week and that, that one week that I was lucky enough to be on this earth in this position that I love and enjoy doing and interacting with people, and I didn't improve my knowledge, my relationships, my th then I didn't progress, right? But too many times people define progress in other ways, in more material ways. 
But I feel like if you define the progress in the way I've talked about with how you've improved, then the material part always follows, always follows, right? But you have to define the progress. And I always feel like Sunday night is a great day, a great, a great evening for me to sit down, assess what happened the week before, and then to spend another 10 minutes planning out what I want to achieve the next week. And that has been a tool that I feel has really worked with me for worked for me for a lot of years. And it's something that I continue to use. Yeah, I agree with you. That that perspective of reflection is something that um that I also have started looking at, you know, um, sometimes, you know, on a Sunday, you might be watching a movie, but you, you, you should really take like, if it's, even if it's a half an hour to reflect, because, you know, we live in an age with so much distraction, but that reflection is what will help you improve as a, as an individual going forward as well, too, and that is some real good advice you just gave the listeners there as well, too. Um. So as we close off episode five of Beyond the Rig podcast, I'd like to thank Sean Rampersad for being a guest on our show, for taking time to talk to us. And once again, we'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in and listening to us. And join us next time as we'll be having a conversation with James Walker from Heritage Petroleum Company Limited.